Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Big Ten Hoops Weekly. Uh, I'm Brett, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Steve. Steve, how are you doing today? I am feeling very ready for MTE week. Oh, yeah. That's hey, I mean, ESPN still uses Feast Week, so I think uh, I think we can go with that, too. Uh, whatever your preferred phrase is, uh, yeah, we are really in the thick of college basketball right now. Uh, it was a busy week across the country and specifically in the Big Ten. Uh, so I think we should jump right in. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think we can, I think we have to start this week by talking uh, about Michigan State. Um, I know, you know, that both in our preseason episode and uh, last week we had expressed uh, some some trepidation in terms of how insane their start to the season was uh their non-conference has uh a number of name brand teams on it and there there will be even more but michigan state scored two huge wins this week uh in knocking off both kentucky in double overtime in the champions classic in indianapolis and holding off villanova uh at home in the gavit games and i guess you know you can see there's a lot to, to like in terms of how michigan state's playing and i think that as we've mentioned many times, the continuity they've had uh, between seasons really helps them start faster than they have uh, in some of these other challenging early seasons. Um, But Steve, what are you seeing specifically with this Michigan state team that, that enables them to not fold down the stretch of these crazy, crazy games against these really high powered teams? Yeah. I think before we get to anything, Anything X's and O's wise, I think it. I think it just it comes down to toughness, coaching, and and continuity, as you mentioned. We we talked about this in our preview show, but I mean, all of their starters, all of their key contributors, you know, played big minutes for them last year. And maybe aside from like Indiana and Northwestern, they're like the only Big Ten team that isn't going through isn't going through the process of of just getting used to each other on the basketball court. So just even, especially when you look at these games out of conference, you know, they have an advantage just in terms of continuity and chemistry and, and and all of those things, you know, but but I also think, you know, when you talk about coaching specifically, you you see growth in some of these players too. I mean, Tyson Walker, even Joey Hauser, you know, who's now been in college basketball for like 11 years. um, you, You see growth in his game too. So not not only is has their roster continuity helped them but it it looks like individually a lot of these players have taken a step up Um, but you put all that into the blender though and you still have to be competitive and you still have to make big shots and get key stops when you need and to me it's not just the offensive continuity it's the defensive continuity too Um, I this isn't the most talented Michigan State team that we've ever seen but you know they are they are ambushing teams with more talent right now. Um, but you know, which, which is, which is, you know, awesome. And they're playing well in the clutch, but I mean, this team also has staying power when it comes to the big 10, you know, regular season and beyond. And so, you know, even, even though they're not going to ambush teams as we go through the season, like they still just are really tough and they're comfortable in close games and they have guys that are comfortable making big shots. I noticed a couple of surprising things, you know, when it just came to the actual basketball play. But I'm curious what your reaction is to how they've been performing. I think you mentioned the growth and development, and I think you also have to mention Mady Sissoko uh, in in this. He's 
a guy that was only really a kind of a bit player his first two years in East Lansing playing about five minutes a game. Uh, and he's now being asked, uh, as we had mentioned, that we were kind of questioning their their depth inside. Um, but he's playing 26 minutes a game, averaging, you know, a very solid nine and seven points uh, and really showed up, especially against Kentucky. And they're, you know, they're they're obviously fantastic post player and Oscar Shibway. Uh, to have 16 and 8 during that game. Um, so I think it's guys like that where you're just seeing, like you said, notable improvements. Tyson Walker looks a lot more under control in his second Big Ten season. Joey Hauser shooting 50% from three. Um, so I think I think there's a lot to be said for uh, all of that. But I also I think it was especially notable in the in the Kentucky game where, especially down the stretch and in over down the stretch of, of regulation and overtime, Izzo's coaching was just fantastic um you know the 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 two plays to send it to single overtime and double overtime respectively were were brilliantly called uh executed very well and it it really seems like he's just on top of his game right now which is which is really cool to see yeah and i think one of well i think a couple of things also just on the coaching front not so much in the Villanova game, but in the Kentucky game, they made their free throws down the stretch, you know, and that just shows, I think, that they're comfortable in those moments. I, I think the other thing that I just wanted to hit on, which I thought was interesting, so um, one of the issues with this Michigan State team, really since Cassius Winston left, is that there hasn't really been a I think, true alpha or a true leader on this team. It felt like a pieced together team with a lot of individual talent, but you know, never that like true leader, like we're used to seeing on Michigan state teams. And I mean, Tyson Walker has been the guy that's been taking their clutch time shots, which I, which I thought was really interesting um, because you, you mentioned, you know, he's last year, he looked out of place and erratic. Um, and even at points throughout that Kentucky game, like it looked like he was, you know, didn't really know what he was doing, but he made some big shots down the stretch of that game. And I think that's a development to watch because, you know, we're going to keep talking about transfer point guards, but, you know, he, he he was a year one transfer point guard last year. Now he looks a lot more comfortable in his shoes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's cool to see a guy like that stick around for a couple of years and, and really kind of figure out how to how to improve his game and, and play more at a big 10 level. So, yeah, a great, great week for Michigan State. Uh, obviously, a lot to look forward to. We'll talk about their upcoming week in a bit. Um, moving on, the Illinois Fighting Illini uh, went out to Las Vegas for a loaded Continental Tire main event, I believe was the name of, of whatever they played in, uh, where they staged a furious comeback against UCLA on Friday night uh, and then suffered a nine-point loss that was was much closer than that, I would say, uh, to a v- suddenly very, very good-looking Virginia team in terms of, of how they're able to bounce back from last year. Um so I think the thing I noticed down the stretch at, at Virginia was just Illinois seemed to kind of lose their head offensively um, after they'd been really moving the ball efficiently and effectively uh, on offense throughout the course of the game. They they kind of just it went more iso ball and, and kind of some bad shots were taken. Um, and I also what I noticed was the the sheer number of offensive rebounds they gave up, uh, but they were also able to obtain a lot as well. So it. You know, there are some things that Illinois needs to improve upon to beat teams of that caliber, but also playing Virginia is a really tall task, especially for a team uh, that's com- composed of, of transfers and, and freshmen with a lot and guys having a lot more minutes than they normally do. Virginia is obviously a, a tough, tough, a tough defensive assignment. 
Um, so I, I, but I think overall this weekend was was a really big stepping stone for Illinois in terms of playing much improved com- competition compared to their first few games and getting more guys involved. Terrence Shannon shot lights out against UCLA from three. Uh, Dane Danger is, is really making an impact, um, and we're seeing a little bit more consistency from guys like Coleman Hawkins. Um, so, Steve, what were your observations from from Illinois' time out in Vegas this weekend? Well, it, as you said, it starts with you know Terrence Shannon having the I've arrived game Friday night, you know, I think where he shot eight of nine from three, um, 29 and 10. I mean, we all knew that Terrence Shannon was going to be an impact transfer. You know, you had him as first team all big 10. I think the the question though was like, given that this Illinois starting lineup, you know, when you think about got two transfer starters in there, a couple holdovers from last year, a freshman point guard, you know, and no sort of, all of the senior leadership from last year's team not there anymore. You know, it's who, who, who's going to be the guy. Um, and Terrence Shannon looks like he's he's going to be the guy. Um, and so I, I think that's that's really cool to see. You know, we all knew the raw talent that he had coming in here, but to see him put together games like that, especially on a national stage against a premier opponent in the non-conference, I think what they did Friday night against UCLA was really, really cool. As far as the Virginia game, I mean – this is not the first time that, you know, a Big Ten team in particular has played Virginia in non-conference and looked out of whack against that defense, you know, it, especially on, you know, without that much time to game plan. Uh, I mean, Virginia really took it to Illinois. I mean, just look at the free throw discrepancy. Virginia took 31 free throws. Illinois took nine. And I mean, that's just, you know, this Virginia basketball. They slow the game down. They minimize the number of possessions that you have. I mean, it doesn't shock me that this game was kind of muddy and, and not pretty. Um, and it doesn't shock me that, you know, Virginia pulled it out. Um, just given that they've got a little bit better continuity than Illinois has. I don't make too much of this game. If I'm the Illini fans, like I think you, you still go full steam ahead, but you know, this is the type of game that they, they can't, if they want to win the conference again, you know, you, you can't not show up for a game like this. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think we're seeing the, a Virginia, you know, return to prominence as opposed to what they were last year. So I think it says more about them. Um, but I don't know. I I thought that Illinois was really holding their own for pretty much the first, you know, three quarters of the game, um, so to speak, and then kind of faltered down the stretch. So I think the, I think this game can be used as a really good learning experience uh, for for this Illinois team that you said, you know, still developing its its continuity and ability to play basketball together. Um, but I, I think we are pretty close to seeing some wanted posters go up for Matthew Meyer, uh, who has, has had a really slow start to the season. His high, high game so far, I believe has only been 11 points. Um, and he's kind of been invisible. Um, so I think that's something to, to keep an eye on. And, um, also uh, shout out sincere Harris. That dude is super fun to watch. I would also just add one more thing. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about how the roster construction this year for Illinois fits Brad Underwood's system, which I think all that's true. But we, we can't forget about perplexing late game things that we've seen from Illinois under Underwood the last couple of years. And so um, that's maybe the only thing that I would look at from this game and, and potentially be like, uh, you know, if you're if you're Illinois. So uh, let's just not overlook that. Very good, very good point, um, and I think that will be something that we'll hit on a bunch as we move down, move towards uh, move towards conference play. 
And I think the, an early surprise for the Big Ten um, is the new look Maryland Terrapins, which they find themselves 5-0 and after uh, beating the crap out of both St. Louis and Miami, Florida, uh, back-to-back days at their MTE uh, in Connecticut. And, I, I mean, I've been super impressed with with Dante Scott and Jameer Young. Um, the, the whole team's really uh, hitting their stride early. They haven't had a game that's been closer than 18 points, if my if my math is correct. I, and, you know, you always kind of say, this, so we, we did not have super high hopes for, for this Maryland team just because new coach kind of figuring out how to play. But, you know, this, this St. Louis and the St. Louis and Miami wins really, really kind of set a tone for, for how they're trying to play this season. And I guess, I guess the question we have to start with is, is do we think this is, this is for real and sustainable? Well, we're going to find out very soon, aren't we? Um, given the way their schedule looks like. So I don't, um, I don't know. So I don't know that I see an MTE on here, but they're going you know, they've got Louisville coming up uh, there. Two December conference games are Illinois and at Wisconsin. And then they've got Tennessee and UCLA on their schedule. So we're going to find out very quickly. This it's great for 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 Maryland to, you know, build build momentum early, you know, and and some of the veterans, I think that they kind of still have holding over on this team. You mentioned Dunza Scott, I think, you know, help. I mean, yeah, this this Miami result is is surprising, I think. Well, we all forget Miami was an elite eight team last year, right? Um, and so, yeah, this is this is a, a a great marquee win for 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 them. I, I think you know some of this can be chalked up to I think just infusion of ener- the energy that this program needed under a new coach. And and I think frankly, you know, we we did pose the question at the beginning of the year of which team from the sort of lower echelon of the conference is going to break into, I don't know, the top eight, the top seven of tournament caliber teams. I mean, Maryland probably is best positioned to, you know, be, be that team. I know we talked about Penn state too. I mean, you know, yeah, like it's a, this is, I think a good reminder to the rest of the conference that, Hey, you know, watch out. We're, we're at least attempting to be for real this year. Um, And I would, I would, you know, keep your eyes on Dante Scott, a veteran Big Ten player who's not afraid to take big shots, um, who's comfortable against Big Ten play. Um, Julian Reese's development, I think, is another good thing. He's kind of a, a game breaker there at a, I don't know what you want to call him, like a athletic five or like where he really fits on the floor, but I really like his game. Um, and so, yeah, you know, this is great, but, you know, we'll see if they're for real over the next two or three weeks or so. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's, it's, key it's you know key to note that there's still i think issues of depth for sure i think they're they're really rotating in pretty much seven guys when the game is is still pretty competitive so i think it's gonna be interesting interesting to see but also they're getting some good contributions from from don Carey and and kevin willard and maryland fans at least have to be very happy that they're 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 playing so well to start the season which i know uh we were we were not super bullish on that happening to start um but you know Obviously, cool development for Maryland. We're very interested to see where they go from here. Maybe the opposite of cool development is whatever's going on in Ann Arbor right now. Um, maybe being a little tongue-in-cheek there, but uh, needed, the, needed the transition to make that work. Um, so Michigan went out to Brooklyn uh, to play in the, I believe it was the Legends Classic, where they disposed of a, a, a pit team that is at least a Power 5 team. Um, so it represented a, a bit of a step-up in competition. 
Uh, they won that game by 30 points and then it turned around on Thursday and lost by 25 to Arizona State before scraping by uh, Ohio, uh, as in the Bobcats, in overtime. And I certainly was not expecting that that Arizona State loss, but I, th- I think that the the Pittsburgh game showed kind of the possibilities when everything is really clicking for for this team. Um, you had a huge game from from uh, Hunter Dickinson as per year, or maybe not a huge game, but he was very effective and was making plays when he needed to. Um, Jet Howard, you know, kept kept shooting the ball. Um, Joey Baker was getting involved. Um, it just was really a top to bottom contribution. You saw a lot of a lot of minutes, a lot of kind of balanced scoring. Uh, and then not much of that the next night. So, Steve, what were your takes on on how things went in Brooklyn? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Pitt, Pittsburgh game, um, not like, yeah, I, I, th- I think the way you described that is right on. I don't, um, I mean, it's obviously, it would have been bad had they struggled there, just given how bad Pitt is. But so I think nothing really to note there. I mean, the Arizona State game, I mean, you know, you look at the box score of that game and you just you you can kind of see from there that it was sort of an well, anomaly is the wrong word. But like Arizona State shot 60 percent from the field, 58 percent from three. I, like, you know, they had two guys off their bench and, and double digit. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't see games in the Big Ten where people are shooting that well. And I think really the and, and on the flip side, you know, Michigan shot. 34% from the field, 18% from three, 67% from the free throw. Like, yeah, you know, it just, uh, it, it, this looks like a story of one team played like crap. The other team played really well. Now the, I think the, the question that you have to ask though, is, is, is Michigan's defense terrible or did Arizona state just have a really, really good day. I, I frankly don't know. I, I don't know what the takeaway there is, but I'm, uh, I, I think if, if Michigan's defense is really, really porous, you know, it's it. They're gonna have a problem in the Big Ten just because, you know, you need. We all know you need a passable defense if you want any chance, because every other team in the conference, you know, has at the at the least that. Um. So you know, we we talked about Michigan State and their cohesion and it making them ready for play. I think you know, with Michigan, you're seeing the opposite. They, uh, a lot of these guys one on one, you wouldn't think are terrible defenders, but the cohesion's not there yet. Um, and then, I mean, with the Ohio game, uh, the, the, the max seems to be giving, uh, Michigan some trouble to start the season. I think the only real thing that you can take away from a game like that, other than like, aside from, it was another bad performance is that I guess the optimist would tell you, well, they, they could have lost that game, which would have been I think, catastrophic, even when you're thinking about like tournament resumes and stuff but I mean again this was a game where Michigan's under 40 percent from the field 60 percent from the free throw line on 20 free throws you know and so yeah I think there's just a lot of issues that I think you talk up to continuity but yeah you know they'll have to they have to get you know they have to turn things around quickly they've got Virginia coming up and Kentucky and UCLA later in the year Um, things could get really bad quickly again like they did last year for this team um, and they don't necessarily have the talent on this team where they can get away from it with it and come back at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point about about the Arizona State game, I think Arizona State was hitting a lot of crazy shots that are contested specifically, like threes that they don't necessarily normally hit. But I think, I, I mean, you know, by the end of the first half, it was it was kind of apparent that the the 
the team defense was not exactly going to be there um, from from Michigan. And I, I like you said, I think if that's not there and they're not hitting threes, then this team can be in a lot of trouble. It's it's kind of what we saw a little bit last year. I mean, some different personnel, but but when the threes weren't going down, I feel like it it lended itself to to some trouble. And you can't just, I guess, contrary to what I've been saying, I guess you can't just give the ball to Hunter Dickinson on every single play and make him shoot it. So there's going to need to be a little bit more of a, of a balanced scoring perspective or a balanced scoring opportunity there uh, for them to really be consistent. But yes, I think the defense is, is something that we're going to want to monitor and Michigan fans are going to want to monitor as, uh, as we move in into conference play, especially with, like you said, a, a Virginia team that has the ability to kind of suffocate teams um, and on, on, on the, on the defensive end. So we will see how that goes. Um, a couple other hits from the Gavit games before we before we keep rolling. Um, we had Indiana and Iowa both getting impressive road wins. Uh, Indiana went into a, a good Xavier team, and uh, Sean Miller was not able to avenge his brother. Uh, they ended up with a three-point win out in Cincinnati. And uh, Iowa went in <clears throat> went into Seton Hall, put up 83 points uh, on, a, on a good Seton Hall team. Uh, and won that game by 16 uh, with Keegan Murray leading. Or, man, I'm gonna do that all year, aren't I? With Chris Murray leading the way with 29 points and 11 rebounds. Yeah, I mean we had there were four guys in double figures for for Iowa, um, but you know they're they're still not playing that many guys. Um, so I guess are we are we seeing a consistent Iowa team that's gonna make me look like an idiot this year? Uh, I don't. I don't know that we're willing to go that far. Far, you know. You, I know any road win against, I guess, not a power five team, but like a a team from a legitimate conference. Um, Big East, Big East counts at this point. Yeah. Well, but power. I mean, there's still power six. Power conferences. Power six. Power but, six. Yeah. Dude, that's that's. Uh, uh, no, I I think getting getting that type of road win, you know, I think deserves deserves credit. But remember, you know, Seton Hall's a also a program in transition with a new coach and yeah, you know, some major, I think, turnover from their roster last year. So not that Iowa's, uh, I mean, you know, Iowa's got, had a lot of turnover too, but maybe less. So I, I think really the key storyline from here is Chris Murray's taken, appears that he's taken the Keegan Murray type jump. And so, I mean, that's what the conference has to be ready for. But I think, I mean, we can be tough on Fran McCaffrey on the show a lot, but, I mean, his brand of style there, you're you're seeing the consistency from year to year, just with kind of a high-powered offense, despite what, like, appears to be just a dearth of talent on that roster. And, I mean, this is a great win to keep that momentum going for them. Um, I think Indiana, on the other hand, I mean, tough, tough environment going in there to Xavier. I mean, they... <laughs> You could argue that, I mean, you know, that if if, uh, if that layup goes in at the end, you know, we're, we're having a different conversation here. But I think a great, tough, gritty road win uh, for them, even though, I mean, they almost blew like a 10-point lead with three minutes left and didn't hit their free throws down the stretch. So, you know, there's some, some concerns out of that game, but nonetheless, a road win's a road win. The other team I think we want to talk about just as far as the Gavit games, or maybe not talk about, but at least mention, I think Purdue getting a good win at home against Marquette, uh, but, you know, maybe they don't deserve as much credit as these teams that went out on the road and won, but, um, like, Zach Eady continues to to play well, and I think good for them to, you know, in facing their tough opponent, tough, tough, for first tough opponent of the year, um, getting a quality resume win 
which will help them down down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's noteworthy for that game specifically. I believe Edie was scoreless at halftime and have no idea what Matt Painter said into the it at the said to him in the locker room, but he ended the game with twenty and thirteen uh on eight for eleven shooting, four for five from the line. Um it's it's you know, he's played in thirty three minutes. I think he's he's definitely really uh established himself as a guy as the go to guy there. Um and I also really like what we're seeing from Braden Smith, I think, especially as a true freshman being thrown into that point guard role. Uh coming away from from that Marquette game with twenty points is is very impressive. So yes, I I agree. That's a, a good win for for Purdue. Um, and then the last kind of couple things we want to talk about. Um, Rutgers. We had mentioned the the health of Paul Mulcahy and uh, Caleb McConnell being an issue. They both were out this week. Rutgers only had one game, but they lost to a fairly mediocre Temple team in a game that you know if 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 they're sitting on the bubble, that one's that one's gonna hurt. Um, obviously there's the context and they lost by six without their two best players, but that's still, still not a game you, you want to lose. Um, some might even say it's a game you can't lose, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot riding on the health of those two guys. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, another, another interesting surprise so far has been the, the five and one Penn state Nittany lions, um, who, you know, uh, held off Butler in the, in the Gavit games. Uh, they continue to shoot the, the three extremely well, uh, still set, still top 20 in the country at three point percentage. So that's very encouraging. Um, if maybe a little unsustainable, uh, and then they went out to Charleston, uh, got two wins over a, a solid Furman team and a solid Colorado state team, and then lost the the second game to uh, a Virginia tech team that looks way better than they did last year. Um, so I guess Steve, any, any brief takeaways from, from Penn state's week? I, I think, you know, there's a lot to be, encouraged about by as you mentioned the three-point percentage and then just them kind of holding their own in in these in in games against better competition maybe a a more unpopular view on this though i mean they they were doing this last year in the big 10 though right like i i don't know that this is a surprise they were competitive in these games they need to win them though um and again like you know that virginia tech I, i mean i don't know that you need to like that that Virginia Tech team's a, a a good team, and you know it was a close game, and you know it's still earlier in the year. They have roster turnover just like everyone else does, but I mean they they have to find a way to win these games if they want to make the tournament because they're going to be playing teams like this every game um, in in Big Ten season. So I mean yeah, you know good positive momentum for um, you know for that program as it tries to transition, but. I don't know that I'm actually going to be too optimistic in seeing these results um, early season. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I think, yeah, there's a, I think, yeah, at a certain point, I guess you do, if you want to make a tournament, you got to start winning games. Um, So yeah, I think maybe, maybe, maybe a little more measured than, than I was there, but uh, definitely noteworthy. Uh, And then um, the, the moving towards the bottom of the conference, um, Jameson battle, still not healthy for Minnesota and they dropped their game to, um, to Paul by 16 at home, which is not a good sign. Able to rebound against a, a bad Central Michigan team, but this team needs James, needs Jameson Battle back in the worst possible way. They still, as we've kind of been hammering the point, they just don't have the talent to compete, and losing by 15 at home to DePaul is not a good sign. Uh, and then Nebraska also suffered a blowout loss um, to St. John's. Um, they were able to recoup against a really bad Pine Bluff team, but... I think it's just it's pretty evident that even with Sam Grisell, uh 
and and some some of these highly touted freshmen uh they're just they're not getting it done yet um so i guess you know we'll see if they can rebound as as the competition gets a little bit tougher uh moving forward and that uh, nebraska was up nine at the half in that st john's game so just i mean they got destroyed in the second half there so yeah yeah and uh i five for 27 won't do it for you from three in in many of these games especially when you're shooting 30 you know yeah about 33 percent overall so that's uh yeah not gonna do it for nebraska gotta i mean maybe maybe hoiberg seat gets a little warm at this point um all right so moving on uh to this week's preview it is as we mentioned it is feast week it's loaded week got a lot of cool events going on across the country and in the big 10 um so I guess we'll first start with the team that's playing today that we haven't talked about yet this this week because because they you know kind of just had a bunch of bunch of uh, easy games winnable games. Uh, Ohio State heads to Maui, the Maui Invitational, back in Maui after last year in Vegas. Uh, they play a very tough San Diego State team on Monday, uh, and then I mean the rest of that field is absolutely crazy. Um, they've not played anybody ranked higher than 289 in Ken Palm yet. Uh, I've only played three games, so they will be rested as they head to Maui. Um, I, I think it's a very, very, very long shot that they win this tournament. But what are you looking for if if you're an Ohio State fan here, uh, just with three really great games on tap? I, I look at these as resume opportunities, right? I mean, are do we expect them to beat San Diego State? I don't know that they're that far along this year. I, I mean, we 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 don't we don't even know. I think with Michigan State, like and and some other teams, like we we have a good idea where like Michigan State is right now, right? We have a good idea where Illinois is, you know, looking pretty good, but still some things they need to work on. Like we, likewise, we know that like it might be like a tough year for this Michigan team. Ohio State, you know, we just we just don't know yet, you know. Like we we talked about, you know, three of their key rotation guys are transfers from elsewhere, you know, justice suing's coming back from an injury played year. I mean, I just don't know how these guys are going to um, uh, like how, how the continuity is going to look when they're playing against a good team. I do not feel good about them going into this San Diego state game, but like, I mean, you, you're still looking at like, you can get into play like a Cincinnati, you know, if you lose that game, like it's a great, I think resume opportunity. And then even of those four teams on the other side there, even if you like just go one and two, you might actually pick up, you're not going to suffer a bad loss and you're going to likely pick up a, at least a, a win that can help you if you're on the bubble. I I actually see this more of like a no lose situation for Ohio state. You don't want to go on three, but like anything you get here is gravy. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the expectation for an, for an Ohio state fan um, should be, one and two, I think. Let's let's say they lose this this San Diego State game. And San Diego State game, San Diego State comes in very battle tested, having already uh, played BYU and won and won that game, and then won on the road at Stanford. So, um, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State start a little slow as they adjust to the increase in competition. But I think that since if if they end up in Cincinnati, playing Cincinnati on on Tuesday, that's winnable, and I I think probably I should win. Uh, and then if they end up playing Louisville or or even like a Texas Tech, I think those games are winnable. So I think it's looking competitive and getting at least one win are kind of a the the where you want to set the benchmark for this Ohio State team. And like you said, anything else is is pretty much gravy. Um, moving on, Iowa State heads out to the Emerald Coast Classic uh, where they'll play Omaha and then 
Clemson, and then they get one more game out there. Um, I think the last game will be either TCU or Cal. Um, and I think, you know, it'd be nice to see them. It's not quite the level of competition that Ohio State will see, but it's still, uh, you know, that, that Seton Hall game should be a good watermark, I think, for what we want to see out of Iowa in in this tournament um, in terms of making sure their offense can still get going. I'd like to see a little bit more uh, balanced scoring just so it's not Chris Murray carrying the entire team the entire time. But um, I think this is a good opportunity to get at least some Power 5 experience before before heading into conference play. I think they should win this Clemson game. Uh, I agree. And I would expect TCU to beat Cal. I, I think, yeah, I mean – TCU would be a really good uh, test for them, I think. Uh, just, I, I mean, and again, we talk about this all the time with Iowa, but it's just their style is so unlike any other team in the Big Ten, which I think actually sets them up better in a non-conference. You know, and, and in theory, it should set them up better for these like tournament games where like it it almost matters more how much you can score than like how good your defense is because when you're playing games on back-to-back days and stuff like that, like you're um, you, you almost would rather lean on your offense. And if your defense is a step slow, you know, you just, you don't know how well that's going to carry over. So we'll, we'll see. I think TCU would be a great test for them. We still don't really know if this team's for real yet. I don't know that we're going to know that after this, but I think that potential matchup with TCU would be a great way to find out how real Iowa is. Yeah, and I think based on what you said about the Seton Hall game, I think that will be a better measuring stick. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, I would I would expect Iowa to go at least two and one in this, if not if not win outright. Um, another team we haven't really mentioned yet, uh, Northwestern, coming off a win o- over uh, Georgetown, undefeated. Northwestern goes to Cancun. Uh, they'll face Liberty in the first round, and then potential there's the potential for a matchup against Auburn. Um, you know, I, I think we can really, really extrapolate the, the they ain't played nobody thing to this Northwestern team, uh, especially because George, the Georgetown team they they beat is pretty terrible. But I think this is a really good measuring stick so we can see if they're at least even remotely competent against some of these more capable teams, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I don't like Liberty. I guess I don't really know that much about their team this year, but I mean, that's traditionally like a stronger program out of the mid-majors. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I would tune in if you're a Northwestern fan to this tomorrow night because I would expect this to be a close game. I mean, if if they ended up with that matchup against Auburn, I would not expect them to win that. But I think. I mean, we, we kind of gave everyone the warning this year, like yeah, Northwestern's they, they, they've got more continuity on that roster than most teams in the big 10, which is a team we've talked about a lot today. Um, th- th- this is where they might be able to sneak up on a team, um, especially an Auburn team playing on a back to back. But I mean, you know, first and foremost, let's see how they look against Liberty. I think it would show a lot if they could win that game. Yeah, Liberty's also coming off a loss to a terrible Southern Miss team, but they still have still got a couple players. They'll play really slow and and really try and break down Northwestern defense uh, on offense. So I, I yeah, I think interesting clash of styles that lends itself pretty well to a, a style you might see in Big Ten play. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see how Northwestern holds up against them. Um, we've got Wisconsin heading to the battle for Atlantis uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, Wisconsin coming off a game that is 
that might be charitably described as basketball against Green Bay, um, where they decided to make it very difficult on themselves by not making any layups, uh, is going to see a significant upcre- increase in, in talent level uh, as they start with a Dayton team that uh, has experienced some injuries and, and a couple and you know hasn't looked like itself quite yet, but still has the talent to be really good. And then uh, on Thursday, they will face either North Carolina State or uh, defending champion Kansas. And um, I mean, I think I think if you're a Wisconsin fan, that Dayton game is a game you certainly don't want to lose. But I mean, given that everyone's still gelling a little bit, um, looking competitive would be good. Uh, I mean, looking competitive is a must. Winning is probably expected, uh, although it should be a close game. This Dayton team is 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 very fun to watch. Um, And then. You know, you, you kind of take what you can get against Kansas. I think not getting bl- run off the floor in the first half uh, would be a good uh, good expectation uh, for a Kansas team that just just beat Duke. Uh, but I think I think if you're Wisconsin, two and one is a must in this in this field uh, just to kind of really prove that you belong uh, in the top half of the Big Ten. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at Chucky Hepburn in this tournament. I mean this. This, if you go back to last year, you know, he really came onto the scene, particularly in that Houston game. I forgot which tournament they were in, but this was when Wisconsin sort of showed everyone that they're for real. Um, I, I don't know, maybe a little bit more expectation than there was last year going into this tournament for them. But yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. We still don't know a lot about this Wisconsin team. However, they're. I, mean, I guess I don't know that you can call a game with Stanford like battle tested, but it, it feels like at least having had one competitive game under their belt, you know, they, they, they should be ready for this Dayton game. Uh, yeah. I, I don't not think I would pick them to go in and beat Kansas, but Hey, you never know. Weirder things have happened, I suppose. Uh, we've, and we've got, we've got Purdue and Michigan state going to Portland for the, I believe the Phil Knight legacy and the Phil Knight invitational respectively. So they will not play each other, but Oh man, those fields are loaded. Um, so Michigan state starts off with Alabama and, uh, Purdue starts off with a, you know, an all right West Virginia team, uh, in the, the late game over there. Um, I mean, I think I think if you wanted to send two teams to kind of these fields, um, it it would be, you know, this Michigan State team obviously will be very battle tested by the time conference play starts. And I think this Purdue team is really, you know, kind of wants to use it as a as a measuring stick to see where they go, um, where they what they kind of what their ceiling is, I think, because there's there's a lot of good, good thing, good teams here. Um, Michigan State has the opportunity to play uh, North Carolina, Villanova, UConn, Oregon. Uh, and then I believe that Purdue has the opportunity to play after they play um, they play West Virginia. Gonzaga's waiting for them in the next round. Uh, and then there's Duke, Xavier, and Florida on the other side of the bracket. So I guess, you know, I think I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams hold up in a lot of tough games back to back to back potentially. Um, but I'm I'm interested to see. Uh, how they, you know, coming off coming off big wins, respectively, uh, what they look like. Yeah, I think maybe with Michigan State, um, maybe the question to ask there is just, um, like, will they be worn down by such a rigorous non-conference slate? 
I, I think they should beat this Alabama team. But again, it's really hard. I know, you know, they've played great competition, but all these games have been close. You know, it like it would it would shock me if they continue to win these close games at the pace that they've won them so far. Um, but I, I think, you know, their coaching, their continuity, um, you know, and just the growth of a lot of their players, you know, might lead you to think that they can continue doing that. So I, I don't think there's any game here where you look at if you're Michigan State and you, you think, oh, there's no chance we have to, you know, we, we have a winning. So, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see. And, and then I think for Purdue, I mean, I feel like that game against West Virginia is going to be a rock fight, right? Um, I think that that's a great one that you kind of strive to win. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll lean on Zach Eady and you'll learn a lot about some of these new players, I think, in that game. Um, and, and frankly, I mean, just looking ahead, that that Gonzaga game. So th- this is one of these where actually, like for for Purdue, this might end up sucking, right? Because like if you lose and then you play Portland State, you're not getting that much out of that game. And then I don't know, maybe the the fifth place game, you probably get like a slightly better team. But then it kind of feels like you have to win that game, right, to have a, a good trip out there. Um, so you know, this West Virginia game is really really important. Um, Gonzaga looks like they're a little bit vulnerable this year relative to normal years. So I, I think that could be a good opportunity. I, I don't know that, you know, Purdue has enough bullets to beat them, but like, we don't really know this Gonzaga team. I don't know that it's the same type of Gonzaga team that we've been used to over the last three years. Yeah. I think if you talked, if we recorded this before the Gonzaga Kentucky game yesterday, I think I would have been able to harp a lot more on, you know, Ball pressure can really get to these Gonzaga guards because uh, we saw that in in their game against Texas. Um, but then you know they came out and looked like they did against against a really good Kentucky team. And you know not that that completely gets rid of all of the concerns, but and but I, but you know obviously they looked a lot better. They're able to bounce back. But I think that um, you know Purdue doesn't necessarily have the like point of attack defenders anymore uh, now that Jaden Ivey's gone to really kind of make life miserable for for Strother and, and all these other guys that they have. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Edie is going to be a huge challenge for this, for this Gonzaga team, but, um, you know, I guess we'll see. I think, I think Gonzaga, this Gonzaga team has proven at least through the first couple games to, to at least be vulnerable. Um, so I think that it'll be a good test for Purdue regardless. Um, but, and yeah, West Virginia, will see, actually see the return of, of Joe Toussaint to big 10 competition. So, uh, intrigued to see there, but yeah, I would agree that that really that first game against West Virginia would be would be a huge win for for Purdue. Uh, and then finally, Nebraska will be going to Orlando for the ESPN Events Classic, which man, you guys can't get a sponsor for that. That's just a terrible name. But I mean, they're playing a, a disappointing Oklahoma team, so I mean, if they could win that game, that would be a huge kind of shift in in momentum for their season. But um, the early returns do not indicate that that will happen. But I think at least worth turning into tuning into if you're if you're a Cornhusker fan to see how they do. Um, and that will that'll about do it for us this week. Sorry for running a bit long, but there's a lot of lot of stuff to get into. Uh, Feast week is upon us. I'm excited. I'm assuming Steve's excited and uh, we hope you are all as well. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time.